In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. With us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, we will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Robert Brooke, your announcer. Today we have all the way from the UK, <laughs> Mr. Cal Cooper. Yes, and the great, the great, and I do say this jokingly, um, the great Mr. Steve Parsons as well. So, hey gentlemen. Good afternoon. <laughs> like no matter what I do, I still can't like throw you out of your game, huh? You're just like always no. there. <laughs> we just just keep going. Yeah. yeah. So before we get on the air, and, and you're listening to Ghost Chronicle, Ghost Ghost Goat Ghost Chronicles International, right Goat here on Chronicles International. Yeah, Goat Chronicles. <laughs> you, you, you laugh, but uh, originally when I signed up for Skypes. Um, it, the station dropped my H, and it did become a Goat Chronicles, so whatever. <laughs> anyway, so right here, uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on uh, Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So there you go. That's exciting. And, um, you know, before we get on the air, you were talking a little bit about television, of course, uh, American television and, and U.K. television is a little bit different. All right, we have different shows. Mm-hmm. You you actually are the pioneers, and I think we just steal everything from you, as far as I can tell. Mm. Uh, well, the, the show that I was just speaking about, they did try to do um, an American version of one of the episodes. I've forgotten what the uh, U.S. version of Dad's Army was called, but um, they copied the episode, which is where they captured some uh, German U-boat commander and some of his crew, and the uh, basically the retired soldiers that were... Um, looking after certain towns during the Second World War and being their local defence volunteers, uh, they had to hold them in the church hall all night, and uh, it, it didn't work. Same goes for, um, as a series, it didn't kick off as a US version, and they tried to do the same with Red Dwarf as well, which we've got over here. They tried to make two different pilots, and neither of those got off the ground. Yeah, yeah you've had a few. I mean, you know, Three's Company go all the way back to the 60s. I mean, that was originally yours, and uh, there are so many, like, I think it was, uh, is an American Idol, I believe, was first in the UK, and uh, I mean, you really do have great programming. I mean, I barely watch American TV. For instance, I'm, I just went through uh, Inspector Lewis, and, and now I'm doing uh, Midsummer's Murders I'm watching. Uh, I mean, I watch those shows, and they're so well done. And those 
super duper special effects or anything. It's all just acting and, and, and it's fantastic plot lines and it's just amazing. And of course, my life, wife loves uh, Edmonton uh, Abbey and of course Upstairs, Downstairs and Brideshead Revisited and all those other ones. So, I mean, you guys, uh, you know, we owe you that, if anything. I think the writers of Midsummer Murders must be kicking themselves right now, though, not thinking it would actually go as far as it did because there must be no one left in that little village. Everyone seems to have murdered each other. There's only, <laughs> only the detective left. <laughs> we still have Steve. Is he going out for a pizza? Or something? Oh no, I was I was quite happily listening to you two um, talking talking television and just thinking some of the great American series that we have over here. We don't have any great American series. I, I can I tell you that anything. right now. <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, we have, um, we do. You, you have uh, CSI Miami. Um, with oh, Horatio. God, no. Uh, do, you know, do you know, my wife watches a lot of, um, I think it's the Food Channel, and she watches, uh, is it the Barefoot Contessa and some of these other American uh, cooking shows, and she's always shouting at the screen because the presenters always say, herbs. We go, <laughs> it's an H. It's got an H. <laughs> Well, let's not go there, because we'll go right to Tarot, and we all know that that's been mispronounced for 100 years, because everybody says Tarot, and we, it should be Tarot, as, as we all know. Okay, At least so. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard the wind and tumbleweed there. Yeah, we, we won't do the pronunciation thing tonight, then. Anyway, okay. on to um, um, the paranormal. Yeah, well, yeah, that's part of the part of it. I mean, because we're we're discussing TV shows, and and of course, uh, you know, we got your it's gonna, somebody's going to mention it in a second, aren't they? Go on. Yeah, most, we got we got your most haunted, and uh, which which you were a member of, uh, so I wouldn't complain no, if no, I, I was. I was only ever. I, I think we should make this clear. I was really only ever Kieran's stunt double. Whatever you're still on the, the show, the so that's episode. your claim to claim. I, I've I've heard people claim to be on the show, and I think they were in the audience. So, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, there are there are one or two people who have appeared in one or two episodes who still um, live off the back mm-hmm. of that. Um, and in fact, the, you know, there are still people who who trade very much on the fact that they were on the show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's whenever they do an event, it's always most haunted. I'm not, I can't say historian, but you know who I mean, right? Um, and a lot of plus a lot of the psychics, um, or anybody that's ever helped, you know, uh, with the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but we've got much, you know, we've got a whole diverse range of paranormal shows that predate even most haunted. We had Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. See, that uh, sounds cool. I don't think that I've was, saw, seen it, but uh, it's available that on YouTube cool. on DVD and stuff like that. Is Before it good? That, it's, uh, oh, what was the one with Michael Aspel, Cal? Um, you were probably about three when it was on. No, I, I do remember that because they presented a, um, an unusual version of Enfield in that that was a, a kind of bit dramatised in the way they produced it, even though it still was a documentary. Uh, I do remember it though. Can't remember what it was called. Somebody in the go. chat room will tell me in a minute. But we've yeah. had a, you know, <clears throat> it, it's, you know, we, 
do have this history of paranormal television um, that goes back years. I mean, Harry Price broadcast, gosh, I think it was 30-something yeah, 30 or other. Um, from, well, that wasn't uh, strictly television. Uh, mm-hmm. But he did Pathé, a Pathé newsreel, which is available um, on YouTube if anybody would like to go find it because it shows the inside of, of Harry's psychic laboratory and Harry talking in a very stilted Edwardian uh, English accent. Really? Uh, yeah, it's 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 about eight minutes long. It's it's fabulous viewing. It's uh, a piece of history online. You, you um, should post that on our um, <coughs> Ghost Chronicles International page. Judging by the typing that's going on in my headphones, I think Carl's doing exactly that yeah, as we speak. Was it strange but true with Michael Aspel? <laughs> that's it, just called, it was just called strange but true. Okay. Yeah, uh, but he was there the presenter. Put the Harry Price ghost, um, the Harry Price pathway link up, Cal. That would be a great idea. The Harry Price, what, sorry? You know, the the link to the Harry Price pathway newsreel that's on YouTube. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, easy peasy. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, and while we're talking on television, and while, while the tappity, tappity, tappity goes on on the keyboard, I just... <laughs> <coughs> sorry. I've been reading Gosh. about... Um, a 1932 book entitled The Wonderful World of Electricity. And it talks about a device that Harry Price, uh, I, am, I am amazed that Harry never, ever uh, used. Uh, I was talking to Cal yesterday, expressing my extreme surprise. John Logie Bird, one of the uh, inventors of television, mm-hmm. um, in the 19, late 1920s and very early 1930s, invented a device called the Noctivisor. Which I've known about for a while and I've written about before, but I got it's, some more. It's called the what? I'm sorry, Steve. The Nocte Visor. N O C T E Visor. Nocte, as in night, N O C T E Visor, as in V I S O R. Oh, okay, so, Visor. So, so it's like infrared <clears throat> vision glasses, night vision glasses? It's better than that. It's really? infrared uh, television. Um, and it could see and was used and was demonstrated um, in pitch black using infrared lighting uh, and could, could transmit moving images to another location, to another room, where it could be uh, viewed and watched. And he demonstrated it to Oliver Lodge, who was one of the uh, leading members of the Society for Psychical Research. Now, Harry always said, Harry Price uh, said in his uh, biography, and several times during his lifetime, that one of his greatest ambitions was to use infrared cine cameras, infrared mo- uh, movie cameras, to be able to observe mediums and psychics in the seance room and also to use in haunted houses. Now, given this Noctavisor device was fully working and operational in 1932 and had been demonstrated to the Society for Psychical Research, uh, a member of the Society for Psychical Research, how Harry never made the connection to take it into the laboratory, I completely blew me away. Hmm. Maybe, there, was, maybe there, was, there was some type of uh, high-energy requirement or... It just um, needed really... infrared lighting. Um, nothing, nothing special at all. Uh, there must be a reason why he didn't, and so uh-huh. I've I've started delving through the through Price's records and through the SPR records to see if I can actually find out whether did he did he in fact know about it, which I can't imagine he didn't. 
Um, and if he did know about it and didn't use it, what was the reason that he chose not to use this device? Because you think of the mediums that Harry was working with in the early 1930s, Schneider um, and others, um, Eileen Garrett, this device would have been a fantastic asset to, to the uh, laboratory. It, it probably, if he did use it, it probably wasn't widely used because not everyone had access to viewing anything that maybe he captured. I mean, if you take a photograph of something unusual, he was able to do copies of it and then send it around. But, you know, even that cine reel that I've just put up now of him presenting his laboratory, that was something that, rare that you might see at the start of um, a cinema screening. And, you know, it's your first and probably only chance of seeing... Harry Price live and kicking, walking about, showing you the lab. So you know, if he had, if he had caught footage, you know, it's very hard to then pass that on to someone who's got the capabilities of viewing it back on him because he's got the, the uh, the means to do so. Well, that thought crossed my mind, but um, they they had the ability to record the pictures back in the 1930s, and in fact, they were removing pictures um, of the knock divisor and the knock divisor screen, because what they would use is uh, the, the projector screen that the image appeared on. You could then um, use a conventional cine camera or movie camera to record the pictures, and so the pictures were archivable. Um, mm. so, that, so that problem occurred to me, but, but was solved. So I don't know why he didn't do it. Um, maybe, you know, he must have known about it. If, if, if Oliver Lodge... Uh, had had this demonstration, which was widely publicised at the time. Um, and the knock divisor was mentioned in several newspapers of the period and science journals. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'd love to know the decision behind not using it for psychical research back then, when his own stated ambition was to use infrared uh, motion capture. Mm. Completely surprised me. But hey... He's not around, so if, if there are any mediums... Uh, well, we can do that, certainly. I mean, yeah. when, you come over, when you come over here in the fall, uh, Stephen, I'm sure we'll connect with him and uh, all your answers will be... Yeah. I mean, all your questions will be answered. Uh, so, you know, if he, if he does like to get through and, and let us know why he chose not to use it, uh, or maybe Bird prevented him from using it, I don't know. But Bird, actually... was also, Bird was interested in psychical research himself. Yeah. Um, and... Hence, he, that's why he presented it to Lodge, uh, because they'd become acquaintances um, due to Bird's interest in, in electronic, well, it would have been EVP, we call it today, but using electronic devices to communicate with the dead. Um, mm -hmm. So the links are all in place, but it doesn't seem to be that, they, that the connections were actually made. Uh, um, and so hopefully over the next weeks and months I'll, I'll try and find out a little bit more about why the knock divisor never became a, a, a tool of psychical research are you going to delve into the senate house library <laughs> they sh might have something lots of delving uh, i've already spoken to the harry price historian and uh, of ah. course the secretary for the society for psychical research yeah well there you go wow there you go so, anyways, one of the thing, reasons I did bring up TV in the, in the original thing is we have a new series out now called Ghost Mine, where they take some people and put them in a mine and <laughs> try to track down the ghosts. Uh, judging, judging from your reaction, I would guess this is not a good idea. 
Um, well, um, most haunted. Famous... By the way, one of them is very good looking. So I'm sure that played into. Well, we have good looking uh, minds across here as well. Um... No, not minds, women. Oh. Um... <clears throat> well, most haunted, of course, famously investigated uh, a coal mine in in mm-hmm. in. Uh, f- to be followed by my own team about uh, three months later. I think we were the first proper team to do an investigation underground at this particular location. But there are, uh, not very far from me, we have a haunted gold mine that's regularly used by uh, paranormal event groups and uh, mm-hmm. investigators. And there are several other mine mine locations and underground sort of tunnels and caves that are uh, regularly on the circuit. So maybe once they've exhausted uh, the American subterranean world, they'll all, they'll all head over our way. Talk about, talking about heading over our way, we've got a conference on this summer uh, up in Edinburgh. Um, a, an international sort of paranormal conference that looks at uh, ghosts and flying saucers and all manner of other... Really? Fourteen and bizarre things, but all of the contributors and, and, and speakers seem to be being shipped in from America, uh, and they seem to have completely overlooked uh, us poor poor Brits and their own really? groups in favour of big names from from the states. So, uh, well, big names. Give me a big name, so I'm be really uh, impressed. Well, big big perhaps in over there, Marie Jones. Who? No, not that big then. Um, well, she thinks she's big. Did you mind that? It's on Facebook. Um, yeah. But they're, they, all the speakers seem to be US based. Um, mm-hmm. They're all sort of coming out. You know, the ones that do all your regular sort of uh, uh, conferences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the so A list. Headed, yeah, the A list. They're all heading over to Edinburgh uh, later. Oh, that's later. good. Um, glad, so, glad to see the, see the getting up and around. So that makes me feel good. Well, maybe we should organise one over there and bring all some British talent over to America. Yeah, do it. Spur a quest. You'll be here. Well, that's true. Hmm. Anyways, uh, the, the, going back to this this ghost mine again, and it seems to be the trend on American TV is reality shows. I mean, we have all types of reality shows with storage locker and uh, <laughs> cooking ones and this and live music ones and everything else. They have people who like to see other people doing, making a fool of themselves or whatever they're doing. And uh, I think that maybe that's what they're really looking for. Now, for instance, Heather in the the uh, chat room went to her first ghost hunt event. And it, it's all the usual stuff, the, the you know, the experiences that really uh, made this really good for her, you know, like uh, table tipping and glass swirling and everything else. Uh, I think that's the trend. Do, do you think we really need like a, a show that that really, uh, you know, like kind of like what you did at the uh, shipyard, Steve, where, where it's a serious research show rather than a, a scarum show? Well, I've always thought that that sort of format of show might be considered to be uh, boring. But then when you look at shows like uh, Ice Road Truckers or uh, what's that mm-hmm. one with the Crab Fisherman, it's basically the same show every week, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And they're all hit shows. So, so maybe there is a, a market for it, um, mm-hmm. you know, reality, reality ghost hunting. The thing is, though, if you look at Ice Road Truckers and uh, I forget the one with the... Uh, the crab fisherman in in the Bering Sea. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's always some. 
yeah, that's the one, deadly catch. But there's yeah. always some jeopardy, isn't there? Um, yeah. You know, at any moment the truck could fall through the ice. I don't really see well, the jeopardy in ghost hunting. Oh my god, well, some cave in, some cave in, and the medium gets trapped down in the moment. <laughs> there you go. We actually have one that's, that's really deadly and really dangerous. We have the uh, Deaver Show, which is all about uh, two women bra fitters. <laughs> And they take on the biggest cases. Well, you'd see, that could be dangerous because the bra strap might snap. Exactly. And back in your face, or you might choke on part of the bra strap if it hits you in the mouth. Now, there are so many hidden dangers that people aren't aware of. Yeah, I, I, I agree it's, with you, Cal. I, I, I'm sorry, I think, I think Cal will have to enlighten us as to the dangers of bra fitting. No, I, I saw the show. I saw the show, and this happened, so... Uh, uh, I advise you to watch it, Steve. Uh, okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I'm, I think, I'm hoping I think I'll, I'll get a guest appearance, but you never know. Jeopardy. Well, I'm going to stick to the safe and relatively jeopardy-free world of the paranormal. Okay. Stick to ghost mine and can't cook, won't cook. Those are fine. Yeah, I know. I know a parapsychologist that was on can't cook, won't cook. Really? Yeah. What was the show? Um, what's it called? Uh, can't, can't, is it can't cook, won't, uh, can't cook, won't cook, or ready, steady, cook, or... Oh, the, oh, yeah, they did can't cook, won't cook, and then they did ready, steady, cook, which was, you were no, teamed no, no. up with which it. No, no, which was the one that, that Kieran was on? I had no idea, I didn't realise he was on it. Yeah, Kieran and Yvette did one of these uh, half-hour cooking shows where... Oh, then it, that would have been later on, then. That would, yeah, that would have been ready... chefs. Yeah, ready, steady, cook with Ainsley Harriet. That's yeah. the really? one. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know they did oh, yeah. Uh, prime <laughs> prime time cookery show with a parapsychologist and Yvette Fielding. It was uh, it was very it, it, it was uh, illuminating. Uh, there were no brasiers in it. And no? it did, did they cook like an infrared light or something? Uh, no, no, no. It was no? all no. Uh, Ainsley Ainsley Harriet for our uh, American listeners is a very camp black American um, camp black. Uh, chef from Birmingham um, who minces and prances around the stage trying to crack jokes at the expense of the contestants and the participants uh, whilst uh, the uh, the two participants which was Kieran and Yvette both brought in a five dollar bag of groceries um, which they'd got and then they had to prepare a full three course meal using this bag of plastic bag of groceries get out of here no seriously yep. All the groceries <clears throat> must be included within the meal. That was the rule. And then they both they got voted by the audience at the end as to which had produced the best meals. Wow, we have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, that, well, that's on the agenda for Spirit Quest. There you go. I definitely <laughs> think that would be such a great idea. And speaking about Spirit Quest and, and competition, that's one of the things I was actually looking at to do at Spirit Quest on one of the evenings would perhaps be a survivor, paranormal survivor, where we would send teams out and they would collect evidence and they would have to come in and present their evidence on uh, the evening and we would, uh, you, know, uh, you know, select the eventual, you know, grand master paranormal investigator. Okay, it sounds a bit like a treasure hunt. What happens uh, if yeah. they don't fight? What happens if, there is, if, as should be the case, there isn't uh, the main... Well, that's in the UK. In America, we always have stuff going on. Well, we always have, we always have, to have stuff happen here on a, on a public event when people uh -huh. are paying for Right, exactly. Uh, so this will be a public event, so you know things will happen. It's a world of investigation that nothing happens. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, well, we need to start. Uh, or we could, I don't know, there's lots of good ideas. I just can't think of any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still um, laughing about Ghost Mine. That's still running through my head. Sorry, well, I, you know, I haven't even watched a single episode of it, and just the concept, um, I'm still running it through my head. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, in fact, I know a couple of paranormal investigators that were offered the job, and uh, uh, oddly enough, they turned it down. Believe it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm just picturing the medium's first words being, "Yeah, I'm getting. Um, I've got a gentleman oh. with me, and he's he's digging. He's digging. <laughs> it's I said so- I said it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> coal. Something to do with coal. There's something like that. No, it's gold. Yeah. Gold. And gold? Mm-hmm. Hey, we, oh, have right. a gold, we have a gold mine that's uh, a haunted gold mine about 20 miles from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do- Dolkothai Gold Mine. It's supposed to be haunted by... Um, we have a, in Britain, we have a particular type of mine ghost called... Uh, well, it's got different names around the country, but they're, they're knocking ghosts. So uh, locally and in Cornwall, they're called Tommy Knockers. Mm. Um, they're like a sort of boggart or, or gremlin who can be helpful or hurtful, depending upon the mood. Is this something newly invented, or, or has it well, always it existed? Goes goes back hundreds of years. Okay. Um, and miners will will take offerings of food or or gifts into the mine to present to the to the knockers. Um, that's a bad choice of work, considering we were just talking about. So. Um, <clears throat> But but to appease them and to make sure that they're, that they're safe underground. Mm. Okay. Because I guess Good. I mean I guess in in you know like crab fishing and mining I suppose there is a certain degree of superstition, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know within within the workers because you know it's a very very dangerous environment. Um, and you, you know you get you guys are, are both very scientific. You're both uh, very well grounded in the paranormal and. I see a lot of photographs now that there are IR photographs, okay? So you'll have like a chair, and then you'll see a distortion in the chair that'll look like a person. Or you'll see a shadow somewhere. I mean, what are we talking? I know you can't comment on a specific thing, but in general, what would cause that type of an effect on uh, inexpensive IR? And I know it's inexpensive, even though people are paying big bucks for this stuff. Um, do you want me to give you the long answer, in which case you'll have to wait till after the break? <laughs> Why, are we close to the break? Oh, yeah, two minutes. Oh, well, <laughs> give, give me, uh, I mean... I know what the parapsychologist's answer would be, so as his is really short and usually one word, isn't it? All right, go ahead, Cal. Begins with pareidolia. I was going to say that, and also that sounds interesting. <laughs> That's all I was going to say. Yeah, I would. I would have said that. Our minds are fixed to look for the shapes of humans inside random patterns. Also, the same with EBP. We're actually trying to make sense of something that ultimately just could be a nonsensical shape that's there. Um, but so you said specific. You said something though specifically, Ron, about it being in infrared. The image right. in infrared. Well, I, okay. I could do that one after the break. That's not a problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, do that after the break. It's we'll a longer answer. That's all. But, I, I mean, I see so many of that, and you look at them, and, uh, you know, I understand. I mean, basically, paranoia is matrix. Am I correct with that, or is, is that basically the same? Whether it's, exactly it's audio, same. Audio, audio matrixing. Paradolia was called matrixing by the TAPS boys because they couldn't say paradolia. I know I can't, so I'll call it matrix. 
But anyways, we are coming up to the break. Uh, you are listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles uh, International with uh, Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons, who, by the way, it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Steve. Thank oh, you. Yeah, Happy birthday, yeah. Steve. And the rock parapsychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick, who will be right back after the following messages right here on PowerX, Ghost Channel, and TojiNet and beyond. Welcome to TojiNet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul-searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation, every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like, uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these Cemetery Tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and Ron Kolek right here on uh, Tojanet Parex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And by the way, talk back to the TV things again. And happy birthday, Steve. I, I really mean that. I just wish I was there so I could give you a big hug. But that's the way it is. Yeah, I know. I know. 
Anyways, uh, go back to the TV things again. I, I was watching a show the other night called Haunted History, and it was so refreshing. It's an old series, but to see it with no IR cameras or anything else like that, it was just, you know, the stories about the places, the, the eyewitness accounts, and, you know, nobody running around taking pictures and stuff. So it was, it was kind of cool. I, I really enjoyed it for refreshing. So anyways, back before the break, I asked the question. I said, a lot of times I will see uh, people uh, post evidence of the paranormal on uh, Facebook or on their website or whatever. And you'll see a lot of like IR shots where you will see a distortion where it, you can you can almost see like a, a boy sitting there or, or, or whatever. And then other times you'll see a dark shadow like in standing uh, that it definitely has a, uh, a a human figure. I mean, so what would the causes be? We talked a little bit uh, before the break, uh, Cal did, about um, Matrixen, because I can't say paradoil or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry? It's... Paradolia. <laughs> okay. Hypophobia. Right. So paradolia or matrixing is is basically your brain wants to put order to disorder. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, and and that that in 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 it is is part of it. But there is a technical aspect to this too, because um, and it, it it sort of links in with with uh, the paradolia or the matrixing. Okay. Um, we're very, very. We see the world in a range of visible light waves uh, and in colour uh, for the for the majority of the time, and our brains are used to processing that information. Um, so when we get an image for, for, from an infrared camera or from a thermal camera, they they portray the world very, very differently uh, than than our eyes would see it, and they present us an image um, that's been electronically uh, constructed so that we can make sense of it. However, what we're actually seeing is a constructed image. And so it goes through a number of different processes. All right, I'm sorry. Either I was sleeping or I just didn't get that. Okay, well... They're constructed electronically? Yeah. um, Who who does? The the light enters enters the front of the camera. Okay, so Uh, the camera itself does this. And then, yeah, and then it, it the, the, the machinery inside the camera, the electronics in the camera, interpret the input, which is in, it, purely in the infrared spectrum, and it changes it onto the display. It constructs an image on the display um, that we can understand. So, for example, if we take a thermal camera, that's seeing infrared energy, um, not a picture, but it portrays the infrared energy as a picture that we can understand. Same with a night vision camera. Um, What you're seeing is the world purely in the infrared spectrum and then interpreted for us on the screen, constructed for us on the screen by the electronics within the camera. Um, Now, there are lots of stages. First of all, the the infrared light goes through the lens. It hits the the sensor. It's then filtered. It's amplified. It's tinkered with electronically. And then finally, it's processed onto the screen. And so there are lots of different errors called artifacts that can creep into the the imaging um, and cause distortions in the picture. And it, it so that's one possible way that these distortions can get in. 
Another way that they can get in is if we go back to the way that we're used to seeing the world, because, uh, and this, this classically happened on an episode of, of um, TAPS. They, they're looking at a small screen and they're seeing a picture of uh, a, a room in which there are some objects and familiar shapes, which I think were lockers um, inside this room. But what they're seeing is a thermal, rep- a thermal picture, a representation constructed, made by the camera, of infrared emissions from objects. But objects don't emit infrared energy in exactly the same way that they emit or reflect visible light. So it's perfectly possible, for example, to have a reflection uh, thermally, on a non-reflective surface, so a painted wall uh, or a metal surface would reflect uh, infrared energy and would show an object where no object was. But because people are seeing something that is looks familiar, the picture on the screen, and they're used to seeing pictures, they think that the mechanisms are exactly the same. Um, and so when they see something they're unfamiliar with on the picture, they, they can't immediately explain it, and so they tend to jump to the conclusion that it's paranormal. And what happened on the episode of TAPS that I'm referring to is there was a glowing number two on a locker door. Oh, I remember that one. That was an old one. Yeah, one That's of the early right. ones. And yeah. they claimed that it was the best evidence uh, for... Uh, you know, some some paranormal manifestation that they couldn't explain. Now, around the same time, I just completed um, the thermal imaging engineers uh, course that you can the the end that the guys that sell you these thermal cameras suggest that you should do. It's in the US is about seven hundred dollars, uh, about thousand dollars to do the course. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they teach you is to be very aware of. Um, adding infrared light to a, uh, to a thermal uh, picture. And the guys from TAPS were shine, uh, had their cameras, which, of course, are got lots of infrared lights all over the front of them. Mm. And what was happening is the, the number two, which was painted onto the locker, was reflecting the infrared from the night vision cameras back towards the thermal camera, which is basically a super-infrared camera, and it was seeing this glowing number two as a heat signature because, you know, more infrared to a thermal camera simply means more heat and will be displayed as a warmer object, even though, you know, temp- uh, the temperature is actually the same. It's one of the anomalies of thermal imaging. Um, and so, you know, a thermal engineer would have looked at the, their evidence and gone, Poof, I know what that is. No. So, 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 the te- so the short answer is the machines can, can fool you and our brains can fool us because we think we're looking at something familiar when in fact we're looking at something that's not familiar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ceiling cat from the Pararex chat room, she says, an object, in order for an object to reflect it, should have mass. If it has mass, the flare would pick it up. Um. um there are there are there are uh, several models of flare camera. Uh, most flare cameras that are used uh, for television purposes, the hand small handheld ones you see on television, right. uh, they are specifically filtered so as not to see um, 
temperature gradations within within the free air between the camera and an object. So she's absolutely correct. For those cameras to see anything at all, it must either be a direct infrared emitting source, such as a flame, or it must be an infrared reflective source, such as a solid object. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are models of flare camera uh, called gas finds, and what they, they have a different range uh, of sensors and a different set of filtering, and they are, they're, they're specifically designed to see gas leaks. And so if, if there was ever such a thermal camera that could perhaps see an apparition or a phantom, then it wouldn't be seen on a, a handheld one that the likes of TAPS or most ghost hunters are using, but potentially a gas find type IR camera could see it. Right, okay, I see where because you're going with it. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if I, I mean, a simple illustration would be if, if you and I were stood in a room and somebody said there was a cold spot between us mm-hmm. and I put my thermal camera oh, God. towards you. Mm-hmm. I would see you, nothing between exactly. us, because the camera is not, isn't designed to see free air. It, it goes Otherwise, right, all, that always goes right back to the, the old IR temperature uh, That's right, measure. exactly the same. Yeah. But there are, there, are, there are models of thermal camera that are designed to see temperature fluctuations within the air itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're horrendously expensive, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 each. I'm sure you have one. No. I would, I would surely love one. So if anybody out there has a spur gas find IR, um, then send it to the following P.O. box. So uh, building on this, uh, you, you kind of explained why these images are being seen with the IR camera. So which is more reliable evidence now? Is it these images that we can pick up with instruments or is it our own eyes? Uh, well, a camera doesn't have and an imagination. Cal, I'd like to calicomp on that, on that too. Okay. But if first of all, I'd like to just yeah, say... Yeah, you cam- go ahead, Steve. Yeah, a camera doesn't have an imagination, so it is an objective observer. Um, but I would add the question, why are we looking in the infrared or the ultraviolet? Hmm. I remember because, you... Yeah, because oh, all the witnesses... The, the people who see ghosts are seeing it in the visible spectrum. Mm. Over to you, Cal. That's right. Now, you discussed that before as well with the multi-spectrum cameras as well and what's the point of using them? Is there some reason why we need to be using them? And you've also covered the whole thing of cameras are actually creating an interpretation of what's there. It's, it's making a... Especially with the digital, it's, it's breaking it down and then building it back up again to produce an image for you when you've taken a flash photograph in the dark or, say... Um, but when it's someone's actual visual interpretation of what's there, um, the only way to actually verify what someone's seen is just simply through language and discussion and um, agreement, because ultimately we can't actually see what each individual site is like. And there are some people that have um, psychological abnormalities whereby um, it's affected their vision and processing of vision, some people can see um, ultraviolet. Um, um, this has been caused through maybe um, you know, certain 
injuries might have caused it to suddenly happen and then when they've come to they've realized their vision's been affected and there's some incredible stories of people that went to the supermarket that had this happening and they couldn't look at the checkout because they could see the ultraviolet everywhere and it was just going haywire um look at cats and fish and some animals in our eyes we have three different color cone receptors which when we process vision and um color through um uh the uh color spectrum we see the seven different um, varieties of colors when you look at cats they have a fourth color cone spectrum so that means that they're seeing extra colors on top of what we are technically um, but we'll never know what it is exactly that cats are seeing and some forms of tropical fish they have 10 color cone receptors inside their eyes so they're saying, uh, seeing three times as many types of colors as we are and a bit more and we're not just talking about different shades of colors i'm i'm talking new colors you know, so th this is weird. So it's all down to interpretation when it's just visual perception. And the only way um, when we're looking at the paranormal and someone says, oh, I've seen a ghost, is to break this down to people's um, accounts and compare them um, through language and interviewing just to clarify what people saw, different colors, shapes, and so on. But a camera, an image, as um, Steve said, it's only going to take what's there and it's only going to give its interpretation of what's there and then you have a solid image that you can actually print and you have a photograph there it's not going to change someone's memory of an event might change over time but also someone's vision might be tricked as well um, through all kinds of visual illusions depending on whether it was seen in the dark whether it was seen in the daytime you know misinterpretation can come into it as well I guess you, we, we really saying there is no reliable source of, or the written one is not more reliable than the other. I think what we're saying is that there's always a need for a multi-method approach. Don't ever stick to one source of evidence. It's never going to be good enough if you're trying to actually present an argument for something it's, happening. It's, something. it's the subjective-objective correlation. If somebody says, I can see a headless figure standing in the corner of the room and somebody takes a picture uh, at the same time and they get an orb um, and they get a headless figure <laughs> then you have a subjective account and you have an objective piece of evidence and if they tally up then you have something extremely extremely substantial right. and that for psychical research is, is the holy grail um, if you get somebody who says i feel incredibly cold all of a sudden whilst a thermometer documents a sudden and uh, you know unexplainable temperature fall mm -hmm. then that again is substantial evidence for some abnormality um, and they are the things that we look for, and they do happen. They happen rarely. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, spontaneous cases, there are some very, very good uh, documented accounts of this subjective, objective correlation taking place. Uh, it's happened uh, on several occasions on investigations I've been on. It's been well documented, going right the way back uh, to the earliest days of psychical research, um, so it's not unknown, um, but we talk about uh, we talk you know we've talked about television and, and, and video and, and imagery, but I would argue that perhaps the greatest uh, area for study should actually be temperature because there we do have well over a hundred years of well documented objective and subjective accounts of inexplicable and anomalous temperature changes. 
mostly down, but some up. And I think temperature is an area where we should be expending a great deal of effort in study. I, I agree with you. But I, I think it goes back to the, the correlation. I think that's an important part. And I, I remember when I first started ghost hunting, uh, we used to always use a base camp. And we uh, would always, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was connected visually and audibly to it. So we always had something that we could back up on. For instance, we had experiences where uh, we said, okay, oh, it's getting cold right here. And then we had a drop in temperature and that was recorded. So you had that verification of that type of phenomena, whatever it was. Uh, I, I think we have to do more of that. I think we've kind of gotten away from that and everybody just wants to grab a camera or a recorder or a K2 meter and, and and really just run around and, and, you know, experience for themselves. Well, sadly, that's true. I mean, let's be honest, the, the majority of people are on a ghost hunt for the personal experience. I mean, you know, that's how we all, I guess that's how we all ended up ghost hunting, because we all basically at heart wanted to see a ghost and have that experience. But right. one of the things that, that parascience certainly um, expend a great deal of effort in doing, and, and we have a you know, probably... 50% or more of our kit is dedicated towards is temperature recording. Um, we have way more temperature sensing equipment than we do audio or visual equipment uh, because, you know, we think that's an area where uh, research should be focused. Right. You know, and also when I was thinking uh, when you were explaining, uh, for instance, I think Cal was, so the different cones in the eyes and everything else, is that this, could that be the same thing that a psychic has? Otherwise, they have, are using a portion of their brain that we wouldn't use or we, we don't normally use. And that's why they can see things or, or sense things that you and I uh, cannot. I think it won't necessarily be something extra in the brain. It's just some each individual is in tune differently to the, the environment depending on your conscious awareness. And that could be, you know, uh, we both wake up at the same time in the morning, Ron, you have a cup of coffee and I don't. Um, you know, your conscious awareness might be slightly different to mine because you've taken caffeine. So that, that's going to alter your sense of consciousness slightly compared to mine. True, it'll be absolutely minimal and you won't be able to see it physically that there's a difference. But, you know, you might be a bit more alert than I am to what's going on, sights and sounds, whereas I might be a bit more lazy to it. Um, so if you then compare that to you've had a good rest and I haven't, you've meditated and I haven't, um, you've taken psychedelic reactants and I haven't, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to see the world in a different way. And it doesn't mean to say that um, because one person's done one thing and the other person hasn't, that, you know, there's one person who's having a normal view of the world and the other person is having a false view of the world. No, they're just different ways of seeing the world. There's no way of clarifying that, um, you know, the visions that you get when you're on psychedelics is just delusional. We just know that those particular drugs might create a certain event. And there's also um, common characteristics between each drug and what they can do. Um, but some of these seem to show that they can unlock areas of consciousness, make you more consciously aware to certain things. And some people might develop psychic awareness when on certain things, say like ayahuasca. Um, some people have had precognitive experiences when on certain psychedelic reactants. Some people, when put in a meditative state, um, they're better at their, whatever psychic tasks they're up to. And then also Gansfeld studies as well. They've produced 
um, interesting hit rates for whatever's being used as the target in certain studies, various things, be it remote viewing or telepathy tests. And by making people relax and focus a bit more on their thoughts and feelings, it seems to make them more psychically aware. So, you know, um, it's nothing extra. It's already there. It's just making people more in tune. Do you know, I'm, I'm reminded there of, a, of quite a famous experiment that was undertaken during a ghost hunt at Dover Castle some years ago uh, by ASAP. Uh, which is a British organisation, investigative organisation, um, and they decided to test this idea of uh, <clears throat> whether the mind was, you know, uh, altered state mind uh, due to drugs uh, would affect people's ability to perceive or see ghosts. So they all got drunk. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, they all, well, I think most of them got drunk. I don't think everybody got drunk. And. Um, well, the accounts were written down. It wasn't a very successful... They, might have, they might have saw more ghosts, but they couldn't remember. Um, well, I think, it was, I think it culminated in them chasing down the, co- down the tunnels under Dover Castle because of a, a strange, uh, strange voices and sounds that were being heard. And when they came round, eventually came round the corner, they found one of the, one of the team asleep with his headphones and Walkman on. Um, he passed out on the floor. Um, but, you know... It might just be, we talk about sight as a super sense or an additional sixth sense. You know, that's, that's one of the, 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 the common terms, you know, mm-hmm. sixth sense. But it might not be that. It might just be, and I've said this before, it might be our five senses working collaboratively in a, in a heightened sense. For example, when, you know, 30,000 years ago, when our ancestors were running around and sleeping in caves, they needed to know that there wasn't a big scary bear at the back of the cave that was going to eat them. And they may have used, you know, their senses to smell the bear or, or react to something, pheromones that the bear was giving mm-hmm. off, uh, and go, oh, you know what, I just don't want to go in there, there's a big scary bear and he's going to eat me. Now, we might still have residual forms of that that allow us to alert ourselves to certain situations. Um, and so our senses are acting to protect us. We would then get, you know, a sense of danger, a sense of, of, of apprehension and avoid a certain, you know, set of circumstances and say uh, afterwards, well, I, you know, I'm glad I avoided that because the roof fell down or because there was a big scary bear at the end of the, the corridor uh, wearing a Walkman. Uh, it might just be our normal five senses working collaboratively to protect us. Okay, that makes sense. Well, I know we're running out of time now, and it's, it's absolutely great to uh, have Cal back with us, and uh, it was good to hear from you again. But I actually uh, have a question for either one of you, and see, let's test your knowledge of the UK. Oh, Is Do you know who pulled down the London Bridge? Well, I didn't. A guy in Arizona. No. <laughs> well, that's where it's gone. Uh, Cal? Wasn't it Penn and Teller? <laughs> no. Actually, it, it was... Google it, it quick. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Uh, ever hear of uh, King Ethelred? No. The Unready? No, that was a thousand years ago. The, the, the thing's in Arizona, isn't it? Across a pond. Now, this is the original oh, yeah, bridge, yeah. my friend. Kip, oh, had King Ethelbert no. Red. Wait a minute, King Ethelbert <clears throat> Red, the unruly. Uh, Cal, tell him we've had about four or five London bridges. Yeah, we've had several. I think we just sold yeah. you a rope rope bridge, and you yeah, fell you have for to be it. More, you yeah, have to be yeah, more yeah. specific, Ron. We've had lots of them. <laughs> We, well, we this was in uh, 978 <laughs> to 1016. They were fighting with the Vikings, and the Vikings took over Russia, over uh, London. 
And no, uh, we, a we force of data. bridges just to flog them to tourists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, they actually uh, employed this guy by the name, a Norwegian Viking. See, the Danish Vikings had taken over London, so they sent the, the Norwegian Viking, Ulf the Thick, uh, an enemy of the Danes, and he actually uh, brought his boats up to the uh, fortified bridge and tied them and pulled it down. So there you go. Isn't you know, exciting? I've, never been, I've never been more grateful to hear the pizza bell. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, they have Ethel the Unready and Ethel Red on the Unready and uh, who's this other guy? Oh, the Thick. I mean, if you had a Viking name, Stephen, what would your Viking name be? Stephen uh, what? I've, I've already got one. It, what is it? Stephen. It's Stephen. It's a Viking name. No, no. Stephen the something. It's always the something. What would it be, Stephen? Uh, Stephen the Waste of Space. There you go. <laughs> And Cal, what would you, yours be? Um, waste of time. Uh, it, it would be Callum the Pizza's here. Callum the Magnificent. <laughs> My God, you guys are so bad. Because I, I, I would, I would be, uh, of course, uh, Ronald the All Knowing, and uh, so we're going to end it at there, I guess. You thought about this too much, Ron. Too no, much. He's, 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 he's overlooking typical British modesty, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Self-effacing British modesty. Well, it is if I was British. Anyway, should we, should we post him a bridge? Would you, like a, would you like a London Bridge? I'm sure. We'll no, that's okay. Have a, I'll, have I'll, I'll, I'll ready uh, for you in a few years' time. There you go. There you go. I'll build one in uh, Drake it here when uh, I think. So, anyways, uh, I want to thank you guys so much for joining, and it was an uh, interesting conversation. And and hopefully, we we have some uh, people who will look at the paranormal a little differently than when they uh, first started listening to the show. So. Uh, do I do that, appreciate um, you. Ron is so dedicated, he's done this entire show, sat there dressed as a Viking. I have, I have. I've, <laughs> I've got the horns on and everything. I'm wearing a proton pack. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, we want to say happy birthday to our good friend, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons. Happy birthday, Steve. I'd sing, but you really don't want that. Spare me. I'm going, I'm going to have a well-earned piece of birthday cake. <laughs> Yay! Well, so, till, till next time, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet Pararex, Ghost Channel and Beyond. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week. And we may even have Cal back, who knows? So, till then, uh, it's from Ronald the All-Knowing, and it's uh, good night and God bless. Good night. Bye. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us glory.